Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios, it's another all-new Dueling Decades. The adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week we return with a weak experience battle. I'll be competing with July 15th through the 21st of 1979 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, proving that sometimes the chill pill is the hardest to swallow. Say hello to Man Crush. What's up, everybody? That's right. I have July 18th through 24th of 1999. And since we have to do this three times a show, and I think last time we shortchanged them by only giving them one, uh, head over. If you're on our YouTube, great. Uh, subscribe, like, do all that stuff. But also, we're on Pod TV. Uh, we are on there. And just download the app. It's on the Fire Stick. It's on Roku. It's on Apple TV. It's on all that fun stuff. So there's one. Also returning to the show is the media king of the north, Please welcome Joe Finley. Pod TV, Pod TV. We got you covered already. Uh, <laughs> uh, love you guys, Pod TV. Um, but yeah, I've got the uh, third week of June, 1989, and let's get gnarly with it. And as always here on the show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's guest judges are from the totally rockin' band The World Over, who you can catch on tour this fall on the Back from the Dead tour with Power Man 5000. All rise and welcome judges Christian and Alex. How's it going, guys? And Alex is the first ever judge to do this from his car. (laughs) He's going to stop in a drive-in, he told us later, which is going to be pretty awesome. Global judge. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show, listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's toss it right down to our guest judges, Christian and Alex, for the coin toss. What do you got, Christian? I got a coin. All right. (laughs) That works. All right, this week's coin toss will be between Man Crush and Joe Finley. Joe, why don't you take the honors and call it this week? Let's uh, let's give it for heads, seeing as I'm up north. All right. Uh, heads it is. Whoa. Big day. All right, Joe Finley, you won the coin toss. You take control of the board, and you get to select our first category. Where are we going, man? Uh, let's start out with TV this time. 
So I want to take you to uh, July 21st, 1989. It was a uh, great day for the good people of home box office as they had a fight night going on. Mike Tyson was defending his undisputed world championship. The both. Oh, that's the WBA, WBC and IBF titles against Carl Williams. Uh, it was supposed to be a big event for HBO. Only one problem. The fight lasted 93 seconds. Mike Tyson hit some brutal fight, brutal shots. I actually watched the fight today. It's on YouTube, the whole thing. Cause short but uh just the sound of tyson's punches landing like i i bruised a rib just watching that happen and he just put carl williams on his ass early on then he gets up before the eight count and the referee randy newman called it anyways and caused a lot of controversy because carl williams and his uh, representation ended up uh appealing to all three governing bodies asking them to turn the fight to a no contest from a technical knockout because he said he was still fit to fight. Uh, none of them did that, and they basically trash-talked him and said, maybe if you want another shot at the champ, you should, uh, you know, knock out a few real boxers first. Uh, but this left HBO in a little bit of a pickle because they had about an hour of broadcast left and they didn't know what to do. They hadn't planned for Mike Tyson destroying a person, despite the fact that five months prior, he knocked uh, Frank Bruno out hard. Uh, so they had to scramble a little bit and they ended up airing an episode of kids in the hall, Canadian and uh, HBO's one night, uh, one night stand uh, comedy special. So uh, they had to put up graphics during those just to let people know why the uh, unscheduled uh, programming was going on. So uh, that's what you had a very short uh, Mike Tyson fight and HBO scrambling for their lives on July 21st, 1989. So much like the kids in the hall, are you telling me that Mike Tyson was, was crushing your head? <laughs> <laughs> He was doing that regularly till he lost his next fight to uh, James Buster Douglas. I cried. All right, man crush. What did you bring for the television round? All right. Well, I'm glad that Joe brought fighting because so did I. But let's go uh, July 18th, 1999. And it's been a while since I had the opportunity to select some wrestling for the show. And being that this is 1999, how could you not be watching wrestling on television at this point in our lives? Now, this is a pay-per-view. It didn't fall on a Monday night, but. Do you recall how amazing Monday nights were in 1999? Yeah. I mean, my wife, who didn't even like wrestling, was all about Monday nights. Our friend Eric would come over, her brother would come over, and we would watch WWF Raw, like, religiously. Sometimes we'd flip back and forth, see what was happening on Nitro. But it was such a special time for wrestling, and if you lived through it, you know how awesome it was. And if you didn't, I'm sorry, because you will never get to experience that ever again. It's the truth. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. That said, it wasn't all about the WCW and WWF at the time. For the real diehard fans, we also had ECW, of course, talking about Extreme Championship Wrestling. And I've picked ECW for a television round before, and that was with their launch of Hardcore TV. But I don't think I ever got to cover an ECW pay-per-view until now. So on July 18th, 1999... We got ECW Heat Wave. And once again, something that would probably never fly again. Not even on a pay-per-view. It's just not going to happen. Some notable names were on the card. You had Rob Van Dam. You had Taz. Uh, Jazz actually got the first ever win for a female on an ECW pay-per-view. And she beat a dude. 
should be Jason Knight in that one. She had uh, Sabu, Tommy Dreamer, just incredible. So all like the big ECW names. And you even had the surprise return of the recently deceased New Jack. Rest in peace, New Jack. That was only like a couple weeks back. Uh, but one of the names I left out here was the Dudley Boys. And at the time, the Dudley Boys, they were their six-time tag team champs. And they would end up losing the belts to Spike Dudley and Balls Mahoney on this pay-per-view. But back in 1999, this was a major upset and big-time news. In 2021, you look back at this event, and it's always referred to as the Dudley Boys heat wave incident. So prior to this match, you had Bubba Ray and Devon. They're just cutting a promo for like, seems like a half hour, but it's only, it's still, it's 10 minutes, which seems insanely long. <laughs> and this pretty much, it was the Dudley boys doing what the Dudleys do in most cities, which was, it was nothing new at the time, but there's no fucking way this would ever happen in 2021. So nowadays it's labeled as an incident, but this was pretty like run of the mill Dudley boys at the time. So if you want to see the whole thing, just head over to YouTube, search for it. Just put in like Dudley boys, promo incident heat wave 99 let's just say this the tamest thing in this 10 minute ramp was when they started this whole thing when devon came out and told the crowd to sit down and shut the fuck up that's the tamest thing <laughs> in this entire thing uh the dudley boys they knew how to bring heat that like nobody else and i can't even say anything else that these guys said because our video would get flagged by facebook and it would immediately get taken down i'm not even shitting you on that one uh, let's just, I'll throw these out there. They got uh, into a spitting match with a mother and daughter ringside. They almost got into a fight with some other dude, threw a beer on him, and lots of naughty, naughty words. So it's uh, ECW Heat Wave 1999. Go check out that clip. I guarantee it's worth it. Wow. Excellent. Excellent pay-per-view. All right, gents, for my television pick, let's head up to Seattle for the 1979 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Uh, the game was televised nationally on NBC with primetime coverage beginning at 8 p.m. July 17th, 1979 at the Kingdome in Seattle, Washington, home of the Seattle Mariners, who were just in their third year in the league. So an Associated Press article gave gave rave reviews to the Peacock's coverage of the game, saying that NBC captured the key play-by-play -play from every conceivable angle. It gave some interesting chatter from the broadcast booth, and generally it got high marks for its coverage of the 50th annual All-Star Game. The article would then go on to note the standout play-by-play -play work from the team of Tony Kubek and Tom Seaver, and the National League ended up winning 7-6 for their eighth consecutive win. The standout performer from the game was Dave Parker, the outfielder from the Pittsburgh Pirates. He would go on to win the MVP award for the game for his outstanding defensive glove work in his powerful throwing arm and not his powerful bat that won him the National League MVP just the previous year. Another big standout for the game included the Mets' Lee Mazzelli, who would homer in just his first all-star at bat. But the real, the real highlight of the game would come early in the first inning. And as an article in the Associated Press would say, Morgana steals the show. The game was interrupted in the first inning when strip teaser Morgana Roberts, a longtime baseball fan, ran on the field to embrace George Brett of the Kansas City Royals. Brett was stepping to the plate in the bottom of the first inning when Morgana appeared from the left field stands, ran across the infield, and met him at the plate to deliver the kiss. Brett had been her target before, 
So he accepted the kiss gracefully, the article says. The stripper, who was wearing only shorts and a t-shirt, was cornered by two security guards who ushered her off the field. So I give you the 50th annual All-Star Game on NBC, July 17th, 1979. Better than this All-Star Game. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Now, and I believe in this All-Star Game, the American League just won for the eighth consecutive time. So kind of an odd parallel there. And a Toronto Blue Jay was MVP. That's right. And no strippers. No No strippers. (laughs) All right, let's throw it down to our guest judges for this episode. Christian Rivera and Alex, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Alex. You know, I don't very much. (laughs) Uh, But I, I, what I do think is uh, uh, Mark James, you had, uh, you had some good stuff. Uh, Honestly, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) I don't know exactly what I'm judging. Uh, I mean, you had some good, uh, some uh, some good stories from that time. Uh, we're, we're judging, we're judging who has the better stories, right? Whatever, you, however you want to yeah. do it. Yeah, what you think uh, is the oh. best, be, be it stories, be it just the event itself, be it right. Oh, dude, yeah, for sure. Then, because uh, uh, I mean, Mark, you got Tyson, you got male strippers running up to home base kissing some dude, man crush. You did well, but Mark James had some pretty eventful. Uh, uh, moments there. Yeah, see, we're gonna have to split split the decision there because, I mean, dude, like wrestling in the late '90s, like that's where it's at. Like, and I guess, like you said, you have to kind of live through that to and witness it to be able to really get it. And I mean, it was just such an awesome time, and you know, especially I, I was a Monday Nitro fan, you know. WCW yep. watching the stinger <laughs> come out of the come out of the fucking rafters, you know, looking like the crow. <laughs> that was Mark's shit. Mark was all about WCW. Oh hell yeah, yeah. 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 Four Horsemen, Sting, early Booker T, Benoit. Fucking, it was amazing back then. NWO Wolfpack. Oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still NWO for life. Always will be. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you guys have to fight it out. Yeah. You know what? They don't have to fight it out. <laughs> I'm going to concede the point just because it's wrestling versus baseball. Man Crush, you, you, oh. can, get, you can take this round. Oof. All right. If, if it was anything other than the Dudley Boys and ECW, fuck you. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's ECW, so you can't. Wow. I can't argue with that. I'm telling you, like, just go and look up this 10-minute clip, and yeah. your jaw will hit the floor because you will not believe what they're saying. It's an absolutely great pay-per-view. You got to yeah. check it out if you're a wrestling fan. All right. All right. So, Man Crush, you pick up the first point, but more importantly, you take control of the board. What category are we going with next? All right. So, last week we kicked things off with movies, and I'm going to do something we don't normally do. I'm going to pick it in round two. Let's go to uh, July 24th of 1999. I got lucky. I got a sneak preview here for this week. Uh, this was good for a couple reasons. One, the movies that were released on this week were weak. W-E-A-K week. Uh, you had a terrible, unscary horror remake. Uh, you had a live action version of a kid's show that was completely butchered. And I grew up on that show. Watching that shit just gave me chills. And a bunch of movies that I never, never even heard of or I completely forgotten about. So I couldn't pick any of those. 
Uh, the other thing that was good about this is I got to discover a movie that I had heard about, but I'd never seen before. So unfortunately, I had to rent this one off of Amazon. It was not in my collection of uh, a couple thousand movies I have. I was shocked that I never picked this one up along the way. Uh, but at the box office, this movie did pretty well. It's a thriller, romantic, caper type movie. Uh, it took in about $124 million at the box office, just about $200 million in 2021. Uh, this actually is a remake of a 1968 film, uh, which is a Steve McQueen classic. And in a rare occurrence for myself, I would actually give the remake a nod over the original here. I mean, this movie, it stars Pierce Brosnan, and there's just something about Pierce Brosnan. Perhaps it's because I can only picture him as James Bond these days, but he absolutely locks down the whole like billionaire playboy that does like illegal shit to cure his boredom. I mean, think about uh, think about like Bruce Wayne, but instead of being a crime fighter, he actually commits crime in this movie. That's how he cures his boredom. Another huge plus for this movie, uh, for those of us that are fans of Mr. Skin, we've had him on the show a couple times in the past. This is actually the first nude scene by 90s staple MILF Renee Russo, <laughs> which I was a little shocked. I didn't think there was going to be any nudity in this movie. And she's nude, like, through the whole second half of it. It's pretty nuts. I feel like uh, Mr. Skin right here saying this, but she waited till she was 44 or 45 at the time to do this, and wow, very nice. I thought you were going to say Pierce Brosnan. Well, I was just going to say, for everyone else, uh, I believe you get a Brosnan-ass shot. So you got that there, too. So if you're in the mood for Brosnan, Bing Brosnan, high-stakes artwork, forgeries, cat and mouse capers, a touch of romance, double crosses, sloppy wet, uh, sloppy Sweaty sex, I should say. Dennis Leary playing a beleaguered detective, which is always great. Illegal wiretaps and lots and lots of twists and turns. Then go out, get yourself a copy of the Thomas Crown Affair. Well, the sneak peek, July 24th, 1999. All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the movies round? Well, I brought something interesting. I'm going to go again to uh, July 21st, 1989. And I'm going to take you to a movie that was originally titled The Vidiot until they uh, decided against that title. Uh, this was created by a man who is near and dear to most everybody from when they were growing up. I give you Weird Al Yankovic and UHF. Uh, the movie was uh, written by uh, Jay Levy and Weird Al Yankovic, and it was directed by Jay Levy, who directed literally everything Weird Al ever did. Uh, the, you know, his show, uh, all music videos, all specials, everything like that. He's always, he's his guy for, you know, tapping into the voice that is uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, it starred Weird Al, of course, uh, Victoria Jackson, Michael Richards, Fran Drescher, uh, Billy Barty, Getty Watan Watanabe, and Emo Phillips, and featured uh, such classic moments because uh, essentially the whole thing is in almost sketch form as they're creating their own tv station as uh, spatula city conan the librarian wheel of fish uncle nutsy's clubhouse gandhi 2 uh, and parodied things like uh, raiders of the lost ark and geraldo and rambo uh roles were actually offered to crispin glover jerry seinfeld and ellen De degeneres and not even weird al himself knows what happened as to why they didn't get those roles. Uh, Weird Al's mentor, uh, Dr. Demento, makes a cameo in the film. Uh, made a modest profit. It was about $6.2 million. It only cost like $3 million to make. Uh, it was about $13.2 million today. Uh, but it just is another cult thing solidified in everybody's brains for the genius that is Weird Al, UHF. We don't need no stinking batchers. 
Damn right. It's a great movie. Damn, that was a Just good one. Just on constant replay in my house growing up. Great pick. All right, guys. So saddle up, buckaroos, because an outlaw eyes a stagecoach and a beautiful woman, but he's foiled by a handsome stranger in white in The Villain, released July 20th, 1979, starring Kirk Douglas as Cactus Jack, and no, not the one from wrestling, <laughs> and the always ravishing Anne Margaret as Charming Jones, directed by a man best known for working with his friend Burt Reynolds. Director Hal Needham. Matter of fact, Hal actually pay, paid tribute to his buddy Bert in this film by painting his face on the side of the whorehouse, which surprisingly fits perfect in this movie because it has sl- a, a, a genuine slapstick brand of comedy. Matter of fact, this movie was intentionally tried to be a live-action version of a Looney Tunes movie, including the same type of music and sound effects that you'd find in the in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. So instead, the villain kind of comes off as more like a rat, bad ripoff of like Blazing Saddles and Capaloo. However, this Western does give us the first attempt at comedy from the great dramatic screen, at, screen actor Kirk Douglas. The 61-year-old Douglas actually performed many of his own stunts and pratfalls. Uh, the villain also marks the first and only Western for Arnold Schwarzenegger who plays the handsome stranger. He wears a powder blue outfit, identical to the one the Lone Ranger wears, just he doesn't have the mask on. The film also features Paul Lind, who makes his final film appearance, playing a Native American chief. Uh, so, you know what? Let's all ride with a horse named Whiskey and an all-star cast as the villain plots to outsmart the handsome stranger with slapstick determination, a raucous western spoof, that proves you can't judge a cowboy by the color of his hat. So giddy up to the theaters. It's the villain. July 20th, 1979. Yeah, I didn't think anyone would ever have seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly, I have not. I, I had never seen the villain either. Um, it is available on YouTube if you search for it. But go see the ECW clip first. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> then that Tyson fight. Yeah, you have time for both. Let's throw it over to Christian and Alex for the judgment on the movies round. All righty. Well, uh, you know, you can't go wrong with uh, Pierce Brosnan and it's uh, you don't get to see him be the bad guy uh, often. So that sounds like a great movie. Uh, So I'd go with that one. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Christian? Hmm. Honestly, um, crazy i've never seen any of those movies so i yeah i was never much of a a movie guy you know it's always been music for me you know i've locked myself up in my bedroom and play guitar when you know my friends were going to the movies and stuff so i really don't have a dog in this fight so uh (laughs) (laughs) all right man crush well you pick up another point heading into our final one point round and you has still have control of the board what category are we going with now? Man. All right. Since uh, since you like music, let's uh, let's go to the hot products round. It's a little <laughs> bit of it's a little bit of music. All right, once again, I don't have to wait for anything. So let's go uh, July twenty second to the twenty fifth of nineteen ninety nine. And this was the hottest ticket from the summer of nineteen nine. 
1999, hotter than a ticket to any wrestling show. That's for damn sure. This event, it was massive. The attendance was well into the hundreds of thousands, and it took place in an abandoned Air Force base in Rome, New York. Uh, tickets oh, yeah. for this one, uh, tickets for all three days, matter of fact, were somewhere around $180 with fees, which is roughly $300 in 2021. So I don't know, $100 a day. It's kind of stiff, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's not that bad. But if you couldn't make it to Rome, New York, you could always purchase Sucker on pay-per-view as well for the mere price of $29.95 per day or $59.95 for the entire weekend. You could watch it on pay-per-view. That's a bargain right there, right? Except you'd be the loser of all your friends that had to watch it on cable and not actually be there. We all know where I'm going with this one. It's Woodstock 1999. This is the complete antithesis of Woodstock 1969. I mean, you talk about hot. This weekend had temperatures like around 100 degrees. That said, water became the hottest product at the festival. You either paid $4 a bottle for water or you started busting water fountains and pipes, which actually happened to gain some access to municipal water. And then that's where all the mud and all the other shit popped up. But most likely uh, you you couldn't do anything else because uh, most of the time, if you wanted a $4 bottle, you couldn't get money at the ATMs because they were basically all smashed and looted. So, uh, yeah. but not to worry though, not, not to worry because pretty much all the supply trailers that held anything that you needed for the weekend, those were also looted. So yeah, that shit was out there. However, they also set fire to that shit. So I don't know if you'd get any of that. Uh, I mean, after day three, this place looked like a straight up war zone. Everything was smoldering cars, ATMs, tents, booths, speaker towers, stages big rigs pretty much anything that could burn was burning at woodstock 99 uh from what i've been told from my friends that actually went uh day one and two were pretty decent like everything was mellow there was you can get stuff and then all of a sudden from what my friend brent told me uh corn closed out i think it was night two and he said it was an amazing performance and then he said it all went to shit from there started day three he said it was just fucking total annihilation he ended up getting pelted in the head with a uh, bottle filled with urine, which I guess was oh, like the uh, the projectile of choice at Woodstock <laughs> 1999, because everyone realized once Kid Rock told everybody to throw bottles on the stage, they realized that if it was filled with something, it went a lot further. So you couldn't get any water, so you just pissed in the damn thing. Uh, but this hot product, this has legs, too, because since this concert was such a disaster, Woodstock 50 never took place in 2019 because... Let's face the music here. No venue wanted any part of that shit. But in 1999, this was the hottest of hot products. You got Woodstock 1999. Right on. All right, Joe Finley. What did you bring for the hot products round? Oh, get ready for me to blow this out of the water. You want to talk <laughs> about something based on something cool and only became crazier. I give you Willow the video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. <laughs> oh, shit. Re released July 18th, 1989. It was based on the 1988 Ron Howard, George Lucas collaboration. Uh, the game basically has Willow traveling through a 2D world, very reminiscent of The Legend of Zelda. The world looks almost exactly the same. The uh, Just the landscape looks different. Uh, and he has to, you know, travel around and take out his enemies in real time. It is another uh, RPG. Uh, the really interesting thing about this game, though, that was made it different from all the other kind of RPGs of its day, is there was no money in the game everything that you got in the game you had to find or earn so if you needed a specific weapon to beat 
a specific area of the of the game you had to find it first and uh, that's how you went through the entire game so uh, it was named by ign as one of the top 100 games of all time from the uh on the nes so that's what i give you is willow the video game wild all right guys so my hot product this week is really hot and really out of this world but but first a little backstory so Five years after the last Skylab mission, America's first space station began, its orbit kind of began to deteriorate because of unexpected high sunspot activity. So on July 11th, 1979, Skylab made a spectacular return to Earth, breaking up in the atmosphere and showering down burning debris over the Indian Ocean in Australia. So the San Francisco Examiner offered a prize of 10,000 US dollars to the first person who could deliver fallen debris from the space station to their offices. Now, at the time, that prize was worth about 8,852 Australian dollars, or the equivalent of 11,852 Australian dollars today. So let's look at an article from July 21st, 1979, where a headline reads, Australian Youth Wins Skylab Prize. A NASA laboratory said Friday that charred nuggets recovered by an Australian teenager were indeed pieces of Skylab, a finding worth $10,000 to Stan Thornton, a 17-year-old trucker's helper. Thornton, who found the crumbly black nuggets in the backyard of his home and not in his underwear, (laughs) flew into town with the treasure last week, but had to wait while it was authenticated. The nine pieces, which are now 12 due to breakage from the journey from Australia to San Francisco, were described technically as dark charcoal-looking stuff. And they were actually parts from Skylab that were made from wood. The pieces were authenticated, and Stan Thornton was awarded his prize of $10,000. When asked what he'd do with the money, he just replied, probably go back home and go fishing. So I give you a $10,000 scavenger hunt and the hottest thing in July. It's falling from the sky. It's pieces of Skylab. Wait, this this was in space and it was made of wood? <laughs> pieces of it were made of wood. Jeez. Now, I, I chuckled at that, but then they just had the uh, Richard Branson Virgin right. spaceship <laughs> that came. Now, when that landed, if you notice the front wheel of that Richard Branson's Virgin shuttle that landed... It didn't have like a wheel on it. It had like, like a scraper. That that was made of wood too. Oh, yeah, shit. but probably mahogany. What do I know? Yeah, they put wood <laughs> on the spaceships. Who knew? All right, let's toss it over to our judges for the ruling on the hot products round. I mean, dude, hands down, it's the Woodstock '99 story for real. Like, yeah. all my friends went to that. I went to so bad, but we just couldn't go. And I mean, luckily. It just kind of now looking back, it's kind of like the fire festival, except the band showed up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because yeah, people were like, you know, like doing slip and slide and actual human feces. <laughs> <laughs> My friend said it was like Lord of the Flies when he was there. Yeah, dude. But I mean, all the awesome bands played. I mean, Christ, you had so many great acts. You know, Metallica, Megadeth. Yep. Our Lady Peace, I think, was on it. Corn, Limp Biscuit, and that's when I think it started going nuts when Limp Biscuit played Break Stuff, um, right? And actually, and then, they try to calm everything down before that. They, he actually, I mean, he could have said it in a better way. I think he said, "Hey, all you assholes need to calm down a little bit." 
Uh, and then, of course, then they went into break stuff. Uh, but yeah, right. that's when they started to rip down all the plywood and people were surfing on plywood. Maybe he just said that so it wouldn't be, uh, you know, liable <laughs> for anything that would happen afterwards. <laughs> oh, my God. What about you, Alex? You know, uh, gentlemen, I got to say, Man Crush is uh... – He's he's crushing it right now. Uh, he came into this round. Well, I mean, you know, let's let's take it back to before you guys uh, brought anything up. This guy already knew what he was doing by buttering up the judges. Y'all know in a competition, <laughs> you want to butter up the judges. This guy brought a musical event into the mix with two musicians, you know, uh, space yeah. is cool. Nintendo 64. You know, that's cool, too. But uh, there's music in that game. <laughs> Dude, Nintendo 64 didn't come out until we're talking about the 8-bit system uh, hey, yes. hey, hey, look, same shit, different toilet that shit was fire All right, <laughs> Woodstock third time's the charm there you go, there you have it alright man crush you got three points and control of the board heading into our first two point round, can you keep the shutout intact mm. uh, let's go to yeah let's go to news let's finish this one up with music i think that only makes sense uh no music in this round but let's go to july 22nd in 1999 uh, i think it was last week where we spoke about how movies get this like rolling release date especially like in the 70s well in 1999 this was still happening but unlike the 70s because there was like a theater shortage this was purely because the studios figured Let's see how well this movie does. Give it a few screens and we'll see. And then we'll give it more, right? So in this case, this movie right here, it was released to only 27 theaters the week prior to my week. But it did something completely unheard of, all right? So this article right here is called Which Scares Off Rivals by Lewis Beale. And it starts like this. It says, who's afraid of the Blair Witch Project? Apparently, Universal Studios and Warner Brothers is. Both studios announced yesterday that they are reshuffling their release schedules, at least in part, to avoid going up against the mock horror documentary, which just got awarded another 850 screens on July 30th. Now, keep in mind, I just said they only got 27 screens that first week. Now they're getting 850 more in a week from that point. So Universal Studios comedy Mystery Men has been bumped back to August 6th, and Warner Brothers has bumped ahead Deep Blue Sea from July 30th to July 28th to get a jump start on what they're calling a very competitive weekend. Here's the thing. Made for less than $100,000, the Blair Witch Project, it opened last weekend to humongous numbers. Although it was only released in 27 theaters, it earned $1.5 million for an unheard of per screen average of $56,000 a screen. And that's why they gave him 850 screens after that. And then it got a second release, I believe, in September. But the article continues, although Blair Witch was not supported by network TV advertising, which is amazing. That first week, there was no TV advertising for this movie. It was all publicized through their own website, which at this date of this article had 21 million hits. So they actually got more through that website than they could have got on television. Warner Brothers claims that the decision to move Deep Blue Sea was because of enthusiastic responses to a recent press junket. But Warner Brothers distribution president Dan Fellman told Variety that Blair Witch's huge opening weekend 
factored in the decision as well. And I quote him here as saying, we're expecting Blair Witch to do extremely well. All right. So when it was all said and done, Blair Witch made nearly $250 million. It was around $407 million in 2021 on a $100,000 budget. Those two movies that were bumped back and forward. Deep Blue Sea only made $164 million on a $60 million budget. And Mystery Men completely flopped, only making $33 million on a $68 million budget. So it's just completely insane how much money this made. This movie made, you know, the budget's hundred grand. They weren't on television to start this thing out. It was kind of like all word of mouth through the website. And they just blew everybody out of the water. And then look at how many movies they tried to uh they try to copy it going forward. It's just it's amazing yeah. what they did. Whether you like the movie or not, you just gotta give it props. All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the news round? Well, I brought a first flight to the news round. Uh it was on July eighteenth in the Arizona Republic. Uh they reported on from the previous day, so the seventeenth, the first flight of the Northrop Gummer. The Northrop Grumman B-2 Spirit, better known to us as the Stealth Bomber. Uh, the bomber, which had a wingspan of 172 feet and cost over $500 million per plane, which is over a billion dollars today's money, uh, took a two-hour flight accompanied by two F-16s. Uh, the current de- or the defense secretary at the time, Dick Cheney, praised the successful flight and called it a justification of the Defense Department's $22.4 billion investment in that program. Uh, it was piloted by Air Force Colonel Richard Couch and Chief Test Pilot Bruce Hines. Couch was actually cro- quoted as saying uh, in their press conference if we appear a little giggly about all this it's because it was a lot of fun a lot still had to happen before it became a uh, plane of choice for the u.s military as the uh the uh, senate armed services committee needed to see more tests and some people wanted it scrapped altogether just because of the amount of money that was spent on it already uh but the cool thing about this plane due to its building materials unique shape and the method of construction it makes it so radar had a hard time picking it up if it could pick it up at all which is kind of the the stealth part of the stealth bomber so a gigantic plane takes to the skies probably got a lot of uh, ufo sightings uh from that one but uh july 18th well july 17th the first flight of the stealth bomber Oof. all right guys so for my news entry this week we're going to go to the front page of the lexington herald leader out of lexington kentucky july 20th 1979 where the headline reads miss universe stage collapses Hysterical screams shattered the climax of the Miss Universe contest today when part of the stage collapsed and pitched eight beauty queens down a six-foot hole. Moments after Marisa Salazaro of Venezuela took the coveted crown, the first woman ever from Venezuela to do so. The 18-year-old winner was unhurt, but Miss Malta and Miss Turkey, they were taken to the hospital. Miss Turkey was hospitalized with a concussion, And Miss Malta, she was badly bruised. Officials at the Perth Entertainment Center blamed the collapse on the sudden surge of reporters and photographers onto the stage as she took the crown. The back of the stage was designed to hold 75 girls. It was not designed to hold 200 people pushing and shoving, one official said. The third and fourth place finishers, Miss Britain and Miss Brazil, were among those who fell into the hole that opened in the wooden stage. There was a rumble, and at one end of the platform, it dropped about six feet, said David Tanner, a photographer from the Perth Daily News. 
Miss Brazil, her $300 silk chiffon dress, it was torn badly. And several other contestants, they wept hysterically. Others even trembled with shock. So I give you mishaps at the Miss Universe pageant and some lovely ladies that are just drop-dead gorgeous. Dude, when you go back to the 70s, I feel like two months ago, you brought another <laughs> award show where the stage collapsed. Yes. Do you, do you like search for that in the news articles? No, that's total no. coincidence. But no. yeah, that's like two stage collapse stories in, in as many months. Man. Sounds like somebody's time jumping and make some news. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's an interesting news round. Let's turn it over to our judges for this episode for their verdicts. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, Mark. I mean, Mark James. <laughs> you know, uh, that's really all there is to that round. You you like uh, like chicks falling in holes. <laughs> well, hey, you know, uh, it, uh, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> Christian, do you have any thoughts on this round? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say as a Maryland native. Uh, I got to go with Blair Witch. I saw it in theaters when it came out, and the hype of it was was that it was like real, like the shit really happened, and so that's why everybody went to go see it because that's how they were hyping it. And uh, you know, so it was like a different, different experience in that genre of film because you know, going in thinking it's real and like watching it and like the way it ended. Everybody just walked out there like, holy shit. And then we were all pissed later when yeah. we found out that was all staged. But, you know, I got to give. How stupid were, were all of us, though, that went to see it thinking it was real? When they oh, were we like, didn't they didn't would... have things like <laughs> Snopes or anything like that back then. Could, you know, no Facebook flagging, yeah. you know, fake news. <laughs> That's true, man. <laughs> it's like in the 80s for us with Faces of Death. And we always thought yeah, Faces yeah. of Death was oh, real. My God, yes. I was about to say, speaking of stage collapses, there is a Faces of Death film that ends with the friggin' yes. stage collapse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ties it all is. together. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, Beyonce had the most, uh, the best music video of all time. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I must uh, respectfully... Uh, uh, tune out now because I have to go warm up for this rehearsal. All right. Well, Alex, dude, thanks for coming, bro. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Uh, and this was a lot of fun. And I hope to uh, uh, play this again someday. <laughs> yes. And we're we're definitely going to get you on the road while you do this. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'll, that'll be the thing. <laughs> but Alex, you know what? In honor of you and taking off, I'm going to I'll concede to uh, to Mark on this round. Ooh. Ooh, I'll give him the chick, right. six chicks falling in a hole for Alex. <laughs> Le- legit, the nicest these two have ever been to each other. <laughs> what a gentleman. Uh, that's, hey, look, man, crush, you got class. All right. I, well, not really, but I try. <laughs> all right. Well, that's very nice of you. <laughs> good, good, luck, good luck, gentlemen. Take care, Alex. Take care. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Off to the last round. It's all you, Christian, on this big one. All right, well, I guess that means I pick up a couple of points at least and uh, make this game a little bit closer. We'll see what happens in the end. Now that we're down to one judge, we just got Christian here with us. So we're going to head over to the movies round. You know what? I'm not even going to bother deferring. I'm just going to go first on this one. 
Okay. There's the music round though, right? Yeah, it's the music yes. round. Yes. Did I say movies? <laughs> yeah. You did. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's the music round. We forgive you. All right. So released July 20th, 1979, I present to you the ninth album from Ario Speedwagon, aptly named Nine Lives. The album featured, you guessed it, nine songs. Nine <laughs> Lives reached number not nine, number 33 on the Billboard 200 <laughs> chart, and it went gold by December of 79. But this is not the Ario Speedwagon you're probably thinking of. This is not the Ario Speedwagon that Billy Madison was rocking the t-shirt of in high school. This was the Ario Speedwagon of 11-year-old Billy Madison. The soft, soothing sounds of hits like Keep On Loving You and Can't Fight This Feeling. Those were a few years away still, and this Speedwagon was a bit more rockin', kind of more of the blues-based rock band with a sound and a look more resembling the roots of a hair band than the radio soft rockers that they ended up becoming. Now, the standout tracks for this one, for me, are uh, the first cut on the album, Heavy on Your Love, which is a song that would fit right in on any Judas Priest album or just their 1980 British Steel album. Fantastic cut. And then we have Only the Strong Survive. It's an up-tempo power ballad. That could be in any 80s early teen movie. And then the final track on the album, Back on the Road Again, where bassist Bruce Hall jumps on vocals for a track that's very reminiscent of some early Whitesnake. So produced by vocalist Kevin Cronin and lead guitarist Gary Richrath, along with engineer Kevin Beamish, I give you Nine Lives from the fucking Speedwagon. July 20th, 1979. All right. Yeah. All right, Man Crush. What do you have for the music round? All right. Well, since Joe mentioned Pod TV Live before, he said it twice, but I'm going to count that as one. So here's number three. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, you can download the app on your Roku, on your Fire Stick, on your Apple TV. We're also on Pod TV Live. Or you can just go to their website, podtv.live, and you'll see us and a bunch of other shows on there. So check that out. But uh, let's do the music round right here. Let's go to July 20th, 1999. I swear I didn't even know this before Mark said it to begin the episode out. But when you think 1999, this is one of those bands you'd most likely immediately associate with 1999, not just the band per se, but like the entire genre of music. So let me see if this works. I'll, I'll ask Mark and Christian. If I asked you what the official music genre of 1999 was, what would you say, Mark? Uh, new metal. Okay. What about you, Christian? Yeah, I was going to say new metal. Motherfucking new metal. That was easy. I didn't even have to. I was like, they're either going to say boy bands or new metal. But yeah, new metal. I mean, this whole like several year span, the late 90s into the early 2000s just reminds me of going to festivals and seeing like back to back to back new metal bands. So this really feels like it represents 1999 pretty well. And on top of that, this band sort of sounds like the lead singer's older brother's band. Once like difference, you might hear uh, a lot more horror influence from his brother's music. And this band leans a little bit towards the science fiction side, maybe. So that might be one little difference between this group and the rest of like the new metal fodder that we had in the late nineties. Cause there were some really good bands and there were some that just like shouldn't have existed, but it is what it is. But that's the period that we had in the late nineties. This album, it did fairly well. It would reach number 29 on the billboard 200 
It featured two singles, which I'm sure Christian Hill will hear all the time on tour. And he had Nobody's Real, which is a solid song. And then the one that everyone here probably remembers, and that's When Worlds Collide, which was a very popular song on MTV at the time. And was on my workout mix for over 20 years. And I don't think I've ever said anything on this show that has made me feel as old as saying that I've had a song on my workout mix <laughs> for over 20 years. I mean, that's just fucking frightening, but it's true. Nothing has ever made me feel so fat to admit that I've never had a workout mix. <laughs> well, if you start, you could start with this track. Uh, I well, give there we you go. <laughs> Rob Zombie's little brother, Spider One, who's going to be on tour with Christian and his band. Uh, Power Man 5000, their second studio album, Tonight's The Stars Revolt. Yeah, definitely new metal, man. <laughs> definitely. I, I saw them in concert. Not in 99. This was maybe 10 or 12 years after that. And uh, they're, they're a pretty solid band, man. Yeah. Can't complain with some oh, power. Man. On, uh, Summer Sanitarium with Metallica. Yeah. And, and Metallica, System of a Down, those dudes. Who else? I think Corner Limp Bizkit was on that. All those shows back then were like, I was just talking over uh, this past weekend. I went to like this fireworks thing with my friends that I used to go to all these shows with. And we were talking about all these like Ozfests that we used to go to back in the day. And we went to an Ozfest at the Meadows in 1999. It was the first time we ever saw Slipknot. Nobody knew who they were. And this band just comes out with like fucking 87 fuckers on stage just slamming away. And we were like, who the fuck? And it was in this dusty ass field it was like 100 degrees out yeah. dry as hell and there was like tornadoes of dust everywhere and nobody yeah. even knew who they were but it, the music was just so amazing and then we got into a fight during primus and we were recapping that whole thing which was on That's asphalt sure. totally fucked up situation uh but i'll leave that for another episode <laughs> we fighting over which one was better pork soda or just uh no some dude uh I, I don't know what his deal was he was like in the pit and he kept charging at me and i kept like throwing him and he kept falling down he kept doing it over and over again and finally his friend came over to my buddy anthony and asked anthony to throw him into some other dude in the pit so and anthony was playing college football at the time and grabbed this dude by like his belt just like like a dart and just fucking tosses him at this guy like at 100 miles an hour and then they all wanted to fight it was just like what are you doing uh yeah it didn't end well for them yeah, the crowd at a new metal show back in 1999 <laughs> was like 10,000 preppy white kids fighting over who had the best black shirt. Oh, man. It was, uh, it was pretty rough. Wow. All right, Joe Finley, why don't you wrap us up with your pick for the music round? Oh, I'm so glad you saved me for last. Uh, I'll preface this by just saying uh, my first actually was – I think it was early 99. I went and saw corn and stained in Toronto for the first time. And they were, and the opening opening band was this band called mindless self-indulgence. Oh, I love mine. And I remember they came out and they just said, we fucking suck. And then they just like <laughs> rocked. And then everybody just booed them for like, for their, for their entire set. And uh, it was also the first experience I had at a concert where uh, a girl flashed, but she actually turned around to ask me to proofread her chest to make sure that the band would be able to see from our vantage point. I was like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> to proofread. I had something yeah. similar happen yeah. with the band Amen, except the guy came out and said, 
you guys fucking suck. And then he jumped off a speaker and broke his ankle. <laughs> Dick. Karma wins another one. But now I'm going to go in a completely opposite direction. And I'm going to give you potentially the weirdest single from a Beatle ever. And that's saying something given that they wrote uh, albums on acid. I'm going to give you the uh, bonus track from Paul McCartney's album Flowers in the Dirt. Oué le Soleil, which was dropped as a single only in the U.S. in July on July twenty second, uh, the whole song—it's actually a dance track—and the whole song has three lines. It's Oué le Soleil, dans la tête, travailler. And for our non-francophone uh, listeners in there, that translates to "Where is the sun? In the head, work." <laughs> That's it. Okay. The album itself uh, was a, a bit of a kind of resurgence for Paul McCartney's solo albums. It was his ninth solo and they were kind of taking a dip and this one started getting uh, better reviews and stuff. It actually featured accompaniments by Elvis Costello and David Foster on the album. Uh, but the video, again, you should watch on YouTube. I've like list everything we've talked about today and look, like make a YouTube playlist <laughs> out of it and uh, share it to uh, the Dueling Decades site or something like that because, oh my God, it was this uh, is a side-scrolling video game where it's just this little guy jumping and doing his thing. And every now and again, Paul McCartney's head just shows up in the middle and he's like <laughs> eye tracking his movements. And then at the very end of the video, when the guy reaches his final goal and it's like, you win, Paul McCartney shows up and he has a sombrero on and he's just smiling down at him. That's the video. I honest to God thought I fell into a coma and died while I was watch <laughs> while I was like loading that up because like I, I couldn't comprehend it, but it's Paul McCartney and you got to love him. And it was something that was released my week. So July 22nd, 1989, Paul McCartney's Oué le Soleil. <laughs> wow. All right, Christian, it's all up to you. What is your final verdict on this game? Dude, I got to go. I just got to go with Fan Crush. <laughs> got to go with Power Man. Not for political reasons, but because you know, those are, uh, you know, those are some great times. They, uh, Brought back a, a ton of great memories for me. And plus, I mean, any way you slice it, man, the REO Speedwagon ain't for me, dude. <laughs> now, if you were on tour with the Speedwagon, would it be a different tune? I wouldn't be on tour with the Speedwagon, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's honest. <laughs> They're like, we're going to offer you guys. You guys want to open for us? Nah. Nah, I'm good, bro. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, well said, man. Thanks. <laughs> Well, let me, have you ever toured with Power Man before? Or is this going to be your first tour with them? No, this will be my first tour with them. I've only uh, I've only seen them, you know, as a spectator, you know, coming into the show. Like, and I've seen them a few times, but this will be my first time like out on the road with those dudes. So I'm really pumped about it. When was the last time you guys were out with the whole COVID thing? <sighs> Let's see. I think, yeah, the band hasn't been played a show in nearly two years Jeez. Wow. it's insane yeah. are you uh are you really nervous going out on the road after two years yeah man i'm chopping it a bit i'm stoked <laughs> uh, for me, you know i i'm right at home on stage like that's where i belong so I, i'm just really excited to get back out there get back to work and you know have a little bit of a sense of normalcy coming back you know yeah no and i shit. think the fans are excited too man mm. you know everybody's ready to get out you know, I mean, as cool as like the live streaming concerts are or were for what they are, I mean, you have to be there. You have to feel speakers moving air. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Dude, I yeah. we went to our, I think I talked about it with Tom last week. 
I saw Living Color uh, two Fridays ago. Oh. And dude, it where uh, it was <laughs> it was at Middletown, New York, in this uh, shitty place called the Orange County Fairgrounds, which is a complete dirt pit. But it was our first show that I had been to in like eighteen months, and it rained sideways. Like literally, I'm not even <laughs> shitting you. It was like this, and I looked at my wife, and I was like, I don't care. I'm staying right here. We're not going anywhere. If we get hit by lightning, we get hit by lightning. We're we're living it up. And they those guys played amazing. Hell yeah, man. Those guys were I've always uh, loved that band and respected that man. They were like incredible freaking musicians too. Holy shit, dude. Like Vernon Reed was going off. The only thing it sucked, it was raining so hard, I felt like they had to cut their set short because yeah. they were starting to get like wet and their equipment was getting wet and staged away where everything was set up. So they only played like five songs or so. But dude, those uh, five songs, just seeing that was amazing after 18 months so i can't wait and then uh, a couple weeks i'm going to see uh soul asylum oh sick. i just want to get back out i don't give a shit who it is i told my wife if it's somewhat close and they're playing a live show we're going if it's fucking barbara streisand i will go see fucking barbara streisand because i want to see a show so bad like bad <laughs> <laughs> like do a cover i'm friends with some of the dudes in that band uh candle box remember those oh guys? yeah dude yeah they're, they're they're getting ready to go out on a big tour but um they just i think they just put out an album recently yep. or getting ready because when they came out to la like all the guitars that you hear on the album like were played through my speakers oh no shit wow far the guitar cabinet so i'm like sure dude come pick it up <laughs> so i went down there and and uh they did the jim the jim henson studio on the brea nice and that place is freaking dope but um, yeah, dude, that's fucking awesome. The uh, the first big guest I ever had, like six seven years ago, was Kevin Martin from Candlebox. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's he's a really nice guy, man. Oh, it was it was a wild interview. He was uh, he was driving in his car as well because he was stuck in traffic, and he was like, ah, I'm just gonna pull over at this little Mexican cantina, and he like he was like, I'm gonna buy a couple beers. When I finish these beers, we'll be done. I was like, All right, sounds good. It was the first one I ever did, so I was like all right is this yeah. how it goes sure and uh he was <laughs> he was fucking awesome man uh but, yeah. but speaking of tours you guys were on tours before this uh and we asked this of, of everybody because it's always pretty wild what stories come out what's like the craziest shit that ever happened on the road to you oh god <laughs> um well i've been you know i get i've been asked this question a couple times uh in the past few weeks so i think i might have to give a different answer so that way like <laughs> mix it you know, oh man there's that many Oh, yeah. this will be good so um this is kind of nuts um so it wasn't with this band but a band i was in previously we had um we had a stop in las vegas and then after the show we had the you know we had the next day off and i think the, the show after that was like in la or san diego so not far from there and so um so we play the show and we're going to go back to our hotel to like get cleaned up and go get the strip and all that shit. Right? So we get, I don't know, about halfway to the hotel and I look at the back of the van, like the blankets are moving around. Basically what had happened is some chick stowed away in the back of our van. She must've gotten in there when we were like loading out or something. Oh my God. <laughs> you didn't get charged with kidnapping oh. for this, did you? I know. Um, so, did you keep you know, her? Well, <laughs> she wasn't twenty one yet, so we couldn't. Oh, so I just gave her twenty bucks and told her that, "Hey, hit the road. You know, we got to get out of here." <laughs> like, what the hell? So, 
uh, lock your doors always. Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> shit. It, was she? Did yeah. she just want the ride down, or she wanted to go? Well, I guess the yeah, way I, I think worded she that. Wanted yeah. she wanted to ride. She wanted to But dude, what uh, what's your first date going out on the road? Where can people find you? Like, give them all that stuff. All right, let's see. First date on the tour, so um, it'll be September fifteenth in Salt Lake City. Nice. And uh, dude, we're out like with Power Man from September 15th to October 6th. And then we're taking about six days off and then we're going right back out again with Rotat. And we'll be out with her um, from October 14th until like the end of November, middle or, middle or end of November. Oh, wow. So we're, we'll be all over. How the hell does Tiade keep that voice for that long of a stretch, man? Because if you've never heard her before, it's wild. You're like, yeah. that was the one thing that got, I was like watching her videos and I'm like, how does she do this? Yeah. I mean, you know, she just, uh, she takes really good care of herself. Um, you know, she works, she works out a lot, does a lot of cardio to kind of, you know, to keep the lungs in good shape for all that, because Tiade is one of those people. Um, she just, when she gets up there, she just leaves it all out there. She leaves it all on the stage. It is wild. Yeah. If you listen to her voice, if you see her and then hear her voice, you wouldn't even think that that was her singing. Yeah. It's it's wild how deep she can get. But, uh, dude, I, I can't wait. Hopefully you guys come to the East Coast. I'd love to see you guys yeah. live. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll be on the East Coast uh, on the OTEP run. Oh, sweet. So, uh, Are you coming up to New York? or? Yeah, we'll be. Uh, there's this place called Market Hotel we're doing in Brooklyn. Okay. In New York City. Um, and I think we're doing like a date in New Hampshire. Uh, we'll be in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, I begged our agent for a hometown show. So I get to do a hometown show in Baltimore. Very nice. Which I'm super stoked about. Um, real quick though. Let me, um, take a look and see where about New York are you located? I'm in Orange County. So I'm, if you're going to be in Brooklyn, I'm probably like an hour and a half with traffic. Yeah. I'm York had a fucking Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> Not as nice as the Orange County in California. No, not as nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see here. Um, all right. So, yeah, November 2nd, we're at uh, New York, New York. And then the third, we're in New Bedford, Massachusetts, then Baltimore. Then we're in Clifton, New Jersey. Okay. Some place called Beans. Yep. And Manchester, New Hampshire, and Reading. So he's got us going all over. Yeah, Clifton's only like 45 minutes. I might uh, hit. Okay. What, what was the date on that one? Uh, let's see. Clifton is going to be uh, November 5th. All right, sweet. and the venue is called Dingbats. Yep, I know exactly where it is. Getting my shows lined up for the year since I didn't get to do anything <laughs> for the past year yeah, yeah. and a half. But dude, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, please thank Alex. Uh, hopefully, uh, his rehearsal and everything went well. He made it on time. But I appreciate him. So I'm gonna tell Alex, "Don't go fuck himself." Believe it. Yeah. I'll make sure to pass the message along. Uh, thank you for having us on. We really appreciate uh, it. Not a problem. Good luck on the tour if we don't talk to you. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, fourth one here, uh, podtv.live. That's number four. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, and if you, if you happen to make it out to Dingbats, man, come find me. Oh, for sure, man. It's not that far yeah. away. Cool. Thanks again, bro. All right. Take it easy, man. Thanks a lot, Christian. Bye, guys. All right, Jewelers. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to end this episode right here. But don't worry, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com, subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, and then head over to our YouTube channel, subscribe on YouTube, or you could just watch us on Pod TV. 
Another great outlet. Download it on your phone. You can download it on your TV. I have it right on my TV. I got the Roku app. It's fantastic. So until next time, duelers, we're going to thank you for watching and bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Later, everyone. Podcast New York. Podcast New York. Be heard.